Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 151. I'm Killian Vina. And I'm Zoe Belil Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by the Art of Business president, Josh Hafitz, to dive into some truths around intrinsic motivation and unleashing peak performance in your team. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salons, business and marketing needs. A team is a reflection of its leader and its manager, for better or for worse. The engagement, the motivation, the behaviors, all the results from your team do reflect something that you're doing or not doing as a leader. On the flip side, we can all improve as leaders. We can all work on that muscle and we can all over time achieve different results from our team based on us improving as a leader and doing different things. And so wherever you're at now in that spectrum, don't get discouraged because there is an ability for all of us to do better and thereby get better results. When preparing for this episode, I wanted to get a a general consensus on just how engaged employees do feel at their workplace right now or in today's environment. Now, when I say I did a brief Google search here, I typed in employee engagement and every single thing that popped up on the first page, which I'm going to use as my research for now, was Gallup's State of the American Workplace Report. Now, I believe there was one done in 2011, but there was one done in 2017, and a lot of these blogs were actually referencing to 2017. So I feel like things haven't changed since. So what the report outlines is essentially that only 33% of employees are engaged at work. Furthermore, there's something like 52% of people essentially sleepwalking through the role. So in today's conversation, we'll be looking at how our brains work because our guest today is all about the science of motivation. So the power of habit, how to piece it all together and unleash peak performance in your team. Joining us in just a few moments is Josh Hafitz, the president of Art of Business, whom Forrest has just partnered with in the US and which supports salons in their journey through industry-leading products and education. Josh has been in the industry for 20-odd years. He's served as a VC on the board of directors for the Professional Beauty Association, and he regularly provides educational outreach to stylists and salon owners to help them achieve greater financial and personal success in their careers. Without further ado, Josh, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. How are you? Last time we saw each other was in Philly. I'm doing great. I'm actually still in Philly. And uh, it's nice to be here with you uh, this morning for you, Zoe. I think uh, this afternoon for you, Killian. Yep. And uh, I'm really grateful for the time uh, together. And more exciting than that is our new partnership together. I love the similar values that our company and Forest have. So generally, uh, things are great. I'm excited to be here. The smiles off you two is incredible. Well, look, let's just jump into the episode here. Josh, at the start, we mentioned that uh, only 33% of employees are engaged, not feel, are actually engaged at work. And what's more, 52% of those people essentially sleepwalk to the role. Is there any surprisement there, considering you're talking about motivating employees today? Um. Not really. No, I don't think it surprises me at all. I mean, I'd be interested to see a similar statistic about people's marriages. (laughs) Uh, Of course, not mine if you're listening, honey. But uh, I mean, I think that's just generally, you know, the way I feel like generally people and the human brain strives to find habit and routine in life. And, and sort of the, the, the underbelly of that is, is lack of engagement and enthusiasm and just kind of like going through the motions. And so the fact that that translates at work doesn't surprise me. I think it's, um, in fact, if you want to look at the glass half full, I, I think it, it 
if you, you know, optimistically, it shows that there's a tremendous opportunity to unleash your team's potential in many organizations that probably have yet to do it. So, um, so I, in short, I'm not surprised. Well, to be fair, I wasn't shocked the fact that most people were disengaged, but 33% is really, really low, especially when you come from like a background of, I don't know, say working in forests. I feel like most people are really engaged and everyone's always pitching ideas. And I'm sure you kind of feel the same in art of business. Um, yeah, that was more mind blowing to me to, to see that in, I suppose the vast majority of businesses, that's not the case. Yeah, and to your point, Zoe, I mean, my experience with just the shameless plug for for your forest peeps, I mean, my experience with your team is that, I mean, you guys seem really engaged. And I think that um, the reason that you guys are probably different than a lot of other organizations is there's an emphasis on that. And and I think that, you know, the, the, the common misconception is that the goal is to find motivated people. And I think that, you know, the, 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 the jury is out, is out on that. And, and it's not about finding motivated people. It's about motivating the people that you have, because, you know, any one of us can go into different situations and act differently. Right. I mean, I, I'm, I could be the most motivated person you've ever seen in one situation and be totally turned off in another. So I, I think that there's a tremendous amount of organizations that don't pay attention to that and don't focus on it. And then, you know, and so what you get is a lot of people at companies that are totally disengaged. And so, again, the flip side of that is if, if you put a little focus and energy into it, I think you can get um, really good results. One thing you just said there about like finding motivated people, and I like to think that it's not even necessarily finding motivated people because everyone remembers when they started their first job or every time you go into a new job, you're highly motivated. But is it that the job has kind of let you down or your responsibilities have I suppose you've mastered them so much that you're now one of the 52% sleepwalking through it. Is it just lost the motivation for what you're doing? You've lost the love, lost the passion. Uh, in short, the answer is yes. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I hear, I talk to countless salon owners. I have the, the pleasure and uh, it's a, my favorite part of my job is to just talk to a, a lots of independent salon owners. And unfortunately there is a common battle cry, which is, ah, I'm looking for a more motivated stylist. And that's, you know, it's obviously not, it's the most common challenge that people struggle with in the industry. And, and the answer is, you know, the busy bus of motivated, uh, quote unquote stylists is not pulling up to anyone's salon. And, and, and the real ta- challenge is to keep, you know, to find people, uh, bring them in the organization and maintain their motivation. And so, you know, there's, there's a recipe for that, which we can dive into, but I think that, uh, you know, the answer to your question is yes, they come in motivated. There's, you know, something turns off in them. And, uh, and that's the, the goal and challenge for every manager is to figure out how to keep that light on. Is the bulk of that responsibility, though, on, say, the stylist or the employee itself? Or would it rely more on the manager or a supervisor or whatever that is? Um, you know, like everything in life, it's probably a joint effort, but, but I think, you know, I think there's been ton, you know, tons of studies done about people's work enjoyment and satisfaction. And, and they say that it's like, you know, 70% of it's tied to their direct manager. So, um, you, you could, as an organization have incredible practices, but if the direct manager is not effective, it will undermine all of that. Right. So none of that even matters. On the flip side, you could have an organization that doesn't do a whole lot holistically to keep their team engaged, 
but a great manager could overcome a lot of that, you know, for certainly for a period of time. So, so I think the manager has tremendous power and, and, and ability to impact that. Um, however, of course, a lot of, there is an onus on the actual employee to do their best. And, and so, you know, you, you, while a great manager could have effect on average to the, the large part of the team, there's always going to be individuals that might not um, react positively to it. So there is individual responsibility as well, of course. Can we break down uh, the misconceptions of what are motivating factors for a second here and actually kind of flip it and I suppose kick it off with what are some demotivating? Um, yeah. let, let me help you out. What, what isn't working, right? What, what doesn't motivate them? What turns them off? So I would say, Killian, the, the two most common things that I think people or managers think are going to motivate their people, but in the end, in the long run, do not are fear and money. And so if you're relying on those two to do the job in terms of motivating your team, you're, you're probably not getting the results that you're looking for. And so the first one, fear, you know, if you look at some studies, fear is effective in motivating people. Um, actually, uh, you know, deep in our evolution, we're, we're taught to uh, you know, escape and run away from, from things that are going to hurt us. But um, the problem with fear is that it, there's a tremendous diminishing return to its effectiveness. So, you know, if fear of punishment, reprisal, embarrassment, or, or losing your job will, will cause action and, and work to motivate you to do something or not do something, you know, once or twice, but ultimately you just get numb to the fear and, and you, you sort of just, uh, it, it loses its power to control you. So um, that, and, and then of course, the, the other thing about fear is it just creates a horrible culture for an environment, you know, a corporate environment. So, uh, which has a whole other host of, of problems. So, so fear is not a great motivator and that might be self-evident, but, but, you know, people that are probably nodding and say, Oh, of course I know that may still be employing fear tactics in their day to day, you know, they're just in the way they talk, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to get that. And you know, <laughs> if you could with you and you need to statements, I mean, in a way they're employing kind of a, a latent fear and that's really not what motivates people. And then the second thing is money. And one of my favorite books I ever read was um, drive by Daniel Pink. And, uh, it really, it really dives into money as a motivator and, and a couple of things what it with the conclusions it makes. Number one is that money only, there's only a certain amount of motivation you're going to get from money. Once you get to a critical mass, like you have to reach a certain point to take money off the table as a, as a sticking point. But once you get that point, anything above that really has um, no power to motivate people. And, and then on the flip side, they've actually shown examples where money can extreme, you know, extinguish your motivation. And a couple of you know examples were where they, I think they, they were paying people to recycle in, in a Scandinavian country and the recycling rates dropped by 50% uh, or they went to attorneys and asked them to help um, underprivileged clients in inner cities that, that, that couldn't afford um, their services. And the ones that did it were asked to donate their time. The, the, the rate of donation of attorneys doing it was much higher than the ones they offered to pay but the amount of pay wasn't a huge amount. And so the ones that were going to were offered a nominal amount of money didn't do it. And the rate of acceptance was much lower. So, so I think money and fear have been proven to be, uh, if not ineffective, certainly they can backfire on you. In a salon context or spa context, what would you say is the most ineffective money tactic? 10% retail commission. (laughs) It is a perfect example of what I just described. So, it's, it's not enough money to change the style of life. So, you know, cause if money's going to work, it's got to be huge, right? It can't just be a small amount. So, 
10% doesn't make move the needle for them. And in fact, what it actually does is it sends them an, a message that intrinsically they shouldn't want to do it. So 10% retail commission has effectively eliminated the intrinsic motivation of entire population of hairdressers to recommending products to help their clients, which inherently they should want to do. They should want to help their clients care for their hair at home, but we've extinguished that motivation. Do you have any alternatives to that 10% one? Because now I want to dig into that. Yeah. Oh, well, that could be a whole other podcast. No, I mean, I think conceptually the focus has to be around helping clients care for their hair and, and, and not around selling. And so, I mean, that, that sounds pretty uh, simplistic, but you know, there's, there's behavioral things you can pay attention to versus the actual result of the purchase. Um, But, but ultimately everybody likes to help hairdressers certainly like to help clients have beautiful hair. I mean, that's what they, they get out of bed for. So um, focusing on that and less about selling is, is really, I guess, where the foundational difference is. Yeah. So anyone who's attended the Salon Owner Summit Philly Roadshow last fall uh, would have known that there is a science behind motivation. I mean, getting A players to perform tends to be somewhat easy because they're usually highly motivated people and they kind of want to better themselves all the time. What about the vast majority of people who need more guidance in their roles? What is that science? Yes. Um, not only would they, if they were at the roadshow, they would have known about the science. They would have had incredible shrimp cocktail and raw bar that you guys <laughs> provided, which uh, was amazing. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm off track. Ah, uh, no, shout so, out to uh, Sinead there. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Sinead. Um, so the way, and I guess you're referring to my, my segment, is um, there's really four main recipes uh, to unleashing somebody's intrinsic motivation. And you know, any one of these can, can make a huge impact. But of course, the more you can incorporate all of them and tap into all of them, you're going to up your, your chances of having more engaged, more motivated team. And so those are categorized into four things, which are pr- your purpose, autonomy, mastery, and then the fourth one is learning or growth, having a growth uh, mentality. So if you want, we can dive into each one of those. Well, I, I didn't attend the roadshow, so He's teach all ears. me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'll talk to you about the, those oysters first. Uh, no, so, all right. So we'll start with purpose. I mean, purpose really is, is probably the most powerful of intrinsic motivators. And if you think about it, I think there's a saying, um, when someone knows what the why is, it doesn't matter the how. And so, you know, really making sure that your team, everybody in your organization understands and believes in what the organization stands for, what the purpose, the core purpose of the organization is and, and, and what their role in that is. And I think, you know, you, you know, that's, it me starts with having a strong vision it starts with understanding why what they're doing is worthwhile, meaning that the employee, um, you know, if you look at some of the historical great leaders of our time, you know, they all started with being great um, at articulating their purpose. And, and, you know, Martin Luther King famously with, I have a dream. I mean, that, that's really what that speech was about. It's about laying down a vision and think about, I mean, he was able to get millions and millions of people to follow his beliefs even some that didn't have any personal stake in it. I mean, people that, I mean, he didn't just engage African-Americans. He engaged a whole population of the United States because he was able to articulate a vision and a purpose in a powerful way. So um, that's really where it starts and stops. And as a leader, I think your foundational role and, 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 and the thing, responsibility is to articulate 
and communicate a strong purpose and vision for the organization and do it on a constant basis and make sure everybody believes in it. What does it mean, though, to have, like, say, clarity in purpose? What does that entail specifically? Well, I, I guess what, why, why do you do what you do? And if, you're, if, you got, if your organization went away tomorrow, like, what, what does the world miss? What goes away? Who cares? You know, if, if Forrest was gone tomorrow, part of business was gone tomorrow, who cares? And if you, can't under, if you can't articulate a good reason why that's a bad thing, then you haven't articulated a purpose for your organization and for what your team, you know, gets your team out of bed every morning. If you're trying to unleash discretionary performance, you have to have that purpose, that worthwhile work mentality, or else you're just, you're just going to get that routine, that, that sleepwalking that uh, I think, Killian, you were, you were talking about earlier. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good kind of get that clarity. <laughs> no <and>. pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what else then have we got as part of the science of flow? We've uh, Now I just want to keep saying clarity. Yeah, we've gone through purpose. Autonomy. Yeah. Okay. So autonomy is, is really, it, it's a combination of um, being free to control your own destiny and not being micromanaged, but also that you have the, um, you, you believe that what you do makes it, that you have the ability to affect change, right? So, uh, you know, a classic example is um, if you're micromanaged, you know, using children as a great example, you know, the, the parent that's, you know, always telling their kid, oh, pick up your clothes, do this, do that, do that, do that. And then they complain, well, you know, this, my kid never does this stuff for themselves. They always, I have to tell them to do everything. And so, you know, it might be a chicken and egg, but, but what's causing them to, to, are you, you telling them what to do all the time is sort of shutting down their mindset of thinking for themselves. And so, um, so managing in a style that doesn't shut down that, that autonomy muscle in the, in the in life of your, your team. So that would be number one. But number two is that um, believing that they, that autonomous power that they have actually can make a difference. If they feel like what they do doesn't make an impact or can't impact in part change, then, then they, that sort of ties into purpose a little bit, then they're, they're going to just throw their arms up and say, what the hell? It's not worth it anyway. You know, the, the other classic example is, you know, the person that doesn't vote, but complains about the world, you know, and, and, you know, they probably don't vote. They're, they're not motivated to vote because they believe they can't make a difference. So they don't feel like they have the autonomy to affect change when, you know, one might argue they do, but they just haven't been shown that. Do you have any good examples on kind of instilling autonomy? Because you were saying there that uh, it's less about kind of telling or micromanaging and, I suppose, what, encouraging your staff to kind of find their own way, give them more responsibilities. But it, like, it sounds easier than it is, but like, surely the default is to keep going back to, like you said, especially if you're a parent with a child, you're going to just keep defaulting back to do this, do that. So is there any kind of tips or anything to catch yourself from doing that so often? Yeah, I, I would say that the number one, this is my personal, uh, something that's personally made an impact for me as a, as a manager and a leader. Um, it's called the Socratic method. Uh, that, that I actually was turned on to it as a sales strategy, you know, as a sales, and I was training as just as a salesman. But it, it has probably even more, so it has a lot of you know, um, application to doing sales, but it has probably even more impact in your leadership ability and your leadership style. And so, um you know, kind of the old joke of the verse, the difference between Confucius and Socrates is Confucius says, but Socrates asks. And so 
that your management style as a leader, if you adapt the Socratic method, is really a, a, the art of effective questioning. And while that on the, on the surface might sound very basic, I can tell you that anytime I try to teach the Socratic method to someone, it is a very, very, very difficult thing to do without practice because you ultimately devolve, like you'll start and say, okay, so Killian, let's say I'm, uh, you're my, uh, one of my team members, I'm trying to manage you, I'm having a coaching conversation, and, and uh, you're coming in late continually. And I say, I, you know, I start off with a great Socratic uh, question because I've been practicing, and I say, you know, Killian, what, what, what can we do to make it so you're on time next time? And I start with one, and then, and then you say, I don't know. And then I say, well, damn it, you got to get on time, right? And so I just quickly devolve into my old mindset. And, and so um, just to sort of summarize, practicing the Socratic method not only teaches your team to think for themselves, but it builds the mindset of autonomy into them. So they realize that they are totally in control of their own destiny, and, and you're going to you know, not only are you going to give them that control, but you're going to hold them accountable for it. Instantly, just when you said your question, you started with a what? Yeah. Like in my head, I was expecting you to say, why were you late? And now I kind of feel like if you said why, that's almost like pushing them into a defensive mode straight away. Is that is that what you're doing, is it? Yeah, for sure. So it's what and how are, are the best to, or, or even, um, they're a, not even really a question, but it's tell me, Tell me about, you know, and I, I always start questions or, or just conversations with, tell me more about this. But, you know, th those are three ways to structure a question. You know, obviously you don't want to do a yes, no type question, but even why, why has some charge to it? You know, and it also, it, it's sort of backwards looking, whereas the other ones are a little future looking. So um, I, I try to stay away from why, and, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world, but, but certainly at times it can put you on the defensive. Yeah, well, what and how definitely forces you to think about a solution. Right, there's solution-based thinking. I'm going to remember that one, future thinking and past thinking. Yep, um, this isn't really a question thing, but whenever you're having a coaching moment with, uh, with one of your team, it, being future-focused is always the best thing you could do. So even if it's not in the form of a question, but it's, it's you know, tell me about what, what we can do in the future to have a different result, right? And, you know, that was just a very generic way of saying it. But instead of why, why didn't we get the result? It's like, let's talk about how we're going to get that result moving forward. It also makes the conversation way more positive yeah. altogether. So what happened? How do we progress? It's productive, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So next then in the science of flow would have been mastery. Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot to talk about with mastery. Mastering your stoicism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so mastery really, you know, if you look at motivation and, and what, what motivates people, the, there's a ton of science to say that, that success is the greatest motivator. And have you ever seen somebody that's had a taste of success and it's just like they are on fire yeah. versus <laughs> somebody that's like, yeah, exactly. And, and that, that it's actually, there's a science behind it and dopamine release in the brain and blah, blah, blah. But, but really, you know, just getting to the punchline is that, there is nothing more stimulating to somebody and motivating than their own success. Um, on the flip side, there's nothing more frustrating than, and, and more likely to have someone throw their hands up in there if they think they're making no progress. So mastery is this concept that, that there's this kind of Goldilocks, you know, this is an old term of being in the zone. Um, you really would love all your people to be in the zone, right? And this Goldilocks area where, they're on the, they're pushing the periphery of their skill set 
and, and, and having success, but not having, it's so difficult that they're frustrated on the flip side. If it's too easy, they just get stagnant and stale and, and, and go into that sort of unconscious, you know, uh, mailing it in type mode. So, so making their, their day, their tasks, their, their goals and setting an environment that's, that keeps them in the zone as much as possible and, and lets them, lets that feedback loop of success propel them further. So, so to get out of the esoteric and into the practical, the best way a salon owner can do that is have a rhythm in the salon of, of vigilant goal setting and feedback loops and, and celebration of, of mile markers hit and successes and, and, and constantly having that as part of the rhythm. You know, the, the being behind the chair for a 30, 40 year career. I mean, it's like a marathon and, and it's, you know, the old fashioned way of doing it is you just get your chair, you're behind the chair. There's no mile markers for success. And it's just like, you know, flash forward, you have a 30 year career. No wonder why people get stale. There's like nothing to celebrate. So having level systems and goals and, and, and all those things, you know, the, really the psychology behind all that is to, to implement that, that mastery ingredient into uh, the motivation for your team. And would you say that works best on a like private level, say manager to employee relationship or on a kind of public setting, you know, celebrating people's successes? And so- oh. oh, oh yeah. I mean, I think there's one, um, public celebration is huge. I mean, you know, it feeds the ego people. Some people, there's studies that say that that's uh, more powerful than money um, is acknowledgement. So, so that, that's a huge part of the mastery ingredients. I would, I would highly encourage that. But then in, on a private basis, um, I think one of the most fundamental things that salon owners could do more of is, is be more religious with their one-on-one meetings. You know, when you look about if you were to objectively ask a salon owner, who's your most important customer? It's not a customer. It's their hairdressers, right? I mean, they are the most important customer for the life of that salon owner. And so to have a one-on-one meeting once a month for like 30 minutes is the best value, most valuable time they'll ever have. And I know they're all behind the chair. Many of them, they're too busy. They don't have time, but that's time they just have to make. And, and in those private meetings, you're, you're, you're having those sessions of goal setting feedback um, coaching moments, the Socratic conversations. Um, and then also it's an opportunity to unleash those, that purpose, right? So what you might have the overall purpose of the salon, but then what is that individual's purpose? Like, what are they, is it to, um, is it to buy a home? Is it to do something, you know, very specific or whatever it is, how do you marry that individual's, um, key vision and purpose with the overall salon goals? When you're talking about then to taste success, are you saying that it should be kind of frequent achievements that are reachable as opposed to having like your big, hairy, audacious goal that we so often talk about? Yes. I think that the, the more you can bite size the goals and, and, you know, there's the old saying, raise the bar. Um, I, I actually would encourage you to lower the bar. And, and with the idea that you're going to slowly raise it over time, but, yeah. but you want them to taste success and you want them to taste it frequently. And, and going back to that comment I said about dopamine and the, the, the uh, chemistry of the brain, um, you want the dopamine release is what is what makes people act. And that dopamine is released when it anticipates a reward. And, and so the reward that you want them to anticipate is achieving a goal and getting that taste of success, the feeling of accomplishment which will release dopamine in advance to get them to 
act on a behavior that you're trying to get them to act on that otherwise they wouldn't be doing if they were just mailing it in. So um, that I don't know if I got too deep into chemistry there, but it reminds me of playing games. Well, <laughs> and there's probably game theory to it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It reminds me of like. So my mates just had a kid, he's under a year old, and all the little small goals of like, stand up, or eat by yourself, or like, those, we're good at doing that when, when we educate kids, yep. because that's the only thing they can do. Like, they don't speak necessarily under a year old, they don't all speak, they don't all stand up, they don't all walk, so it's right. all like the little tiny stepping stones. Well, I'll tell you what, Zoe, that, that example you just brought, I, I never really thought about it, but I think actually... That is how we educate, not the children. That's that's actually to educate the parents. <laughs> like think about when, when you have these kids that, that don't give you a lot of feedback, they can't talk. It's like, well, you know, you, you need to keep the parents excited. So what do you? Oh, well, there's a you know, the first mile marker is they can raise their head up. The second one is like we're giving them goals, and that creates that dopamine to keep teaching their children stuff. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the other one that's like the classic, most genius, uh, current example of goal setting, goal tracking dopamine release, addiction, behavior. It's the stupid little views and likes thing that you get on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. Instagram needed to figure out a way to convince, you know, billions of us to go through all this energy to post content on their behalf, right? And so we, you know, I recently posted a video of my daughter dancing, and even I'm guilty of it. I, every now and then I check it to see how many views, how many likes. It's like we can't escape it. That scorekeeping is, you know, my dopamine is released to get me, which to uh, make me check the score, which is how many likes and views I have, and then I get this little bit of satisfaction when I see, oh my god, I got a thousand views. <laughs> it's it, uh, and that's a great example, and to, you know, the fact that we can, if we can build those into our salon. Uh, they can be effective in unleashing our team's motivation. I was actually part of those views. I saw that video. <laughs> oh, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Um, so, so then uh, once you've got all those three, and like you said, even hitting one of the four can be beneficial. The last one you were talking about was learning or growth. Yep. Yeah, th this one's a, a little bit of a, uh, even personally, I, I struggle. I've probably done, I'm, I'm the least strong in terms of my own leadership on this one. It's one that, is, is probably unique to each individual, but, but there is a lot of uh, science out there that says that the human brain is sort of conditioned to grow and learn. And so it, it seeks those opportunities. And, and we've all seen um, individuals that just seem stale in their jobs and, and probably they're stale because they've stopped doing new things. They've stopped learning. And, and the brain just kind of has this sort of subconscious like shutdown when it's not growing. And so, um, I think that as a salon owner, there's, there's ways to, if you look at your, your, your top stylist, the, the biggest fear is when they stop growing and they get stale is when they start looking to leave or looking at other, you know, the grass starts looking greener in other places. And so um, what can you do to, to counteract that? Well, I think creativity is a unique aspect of growth and learning in our business. And so, you know, I, I know salons or some salons that spend a lot of energy on doing trend releases or allowing having a creative director and allowing certain stylists in the salon to really tap into that creative spirit and showcasing their talents. And I think that can be one aspect of um, um, learning, even if it doesn't have a huge commercial value to it. It, it has a, um, a huge value in keeping their team motivated. Um, I think allowing their team to teach just the act of being a teacher can be a learning opportunity, even for the teacher. 
right? So having them help in their training programs can be one thing. Making sure they're constantly going to education, attending events, stimulating themselves from, from that standpoint. Learning new techniques. I mean, one of the benefits of bringing new techniques into the salon, even if you only do it on two, two clients, is, is, is the opportunity to learn. And so I think there's, op- you know, when you see, if you're an owner and you look around your salon and you see some stylists that have stopped doing those things, you, you, you might want to, you know, look into how, how can we ignite that, that, um, that muscle because it probably is one thing that leads to all the other bad, scary things that salon owners worry about. Yeah. It could be even something, this is going to sound silly, but a book club. What if the salon owner, like they have a book club with their team because even just learn, reading a new book and practicing that can, can be inspiring. I, mean, I don't know how you guys are, but what, I, I get charged up when I read a new book and it becomes my like hot thing for the moment. And, you know, people can like, make fun of it and all, oh, like this is Josh's new thing. But you know what? That's how I keep myself stimulated and because I need, I need stimulation too. So um, even something like that, as, as silly as that could work. No, it makes sense. Yeah, because we're actually Learning talking. how to photograph. Going to a photography class. Oh, yeah. God, you know, all, yeah. All those things. People love that in the industry. Yeah. Yep. Well, you think you want to like showcase your work. So if you're using a cheap phone, you're not really showcasing the three hours you've just spent or, or even more. But um, yeah, photography, self branding, social media marketing are real kind of attractive ones for that industry. For sure. So you know how you were saying like ignite that, that I suppose, spark in them. How do you know that you don't? just ignite it, that you actually create it for the long term? Uh, that's a good question. I, and I would say, I would probably answer it in two ways. Number one is I think that, you know, just like that comment I said about, I, I, for me, I, I, that's why I read is I, I need that constant reignition. I, I think that we're all somewhat guilty of that or in need of that. So I, I don't know that there's any one, uh, just to keep using the metaphor, any one ignite that's going to last forever. So I think it, it, it's something that we're always having to reinvigorate in ourselves and in our people. But, but, I, but I say the other answer is that I think it's important to habitize. I, I might've made that word up. I mean, it's habitualized. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, to, to, to build habits into your organization and into your people that for the behaviors that you're looking for. And, and I, and I think that there's a, well, I know there's a science behind it, but I think we've all experienced things, you know, whether it's a diet or, or who knows what that, you know, we did for a little while and we, and we failed to continue. And, and I think the reason for that is habits are extremely powerful. And, and the science behind a habit is that it's actually the evolution of our brains is that in order to make more room for conscious thought, our, our brains have this way of putting this, putting habits in the background and, and we sort of just do them and we're unaware that we're even doing them. And, and the reason for that is it makes our brains more efficient to do other things. And so until you've transferred a behavior into that background habit place in your brain, it's no, it, it takes too much work and too much effort. And so it, it's not really um, a permanent part of your routine until you do that. So, you know, there's a little bit of a science to how you do that and, and not to get too far down the, the, worm, the rabbit hole on this one, but they're really the habits made up of three things. It's made up of a cue, which sort of, you know, subconsciously tells you your, your mind to do something that ignites the, the, the beginning of the habit the routine, which is the habit itself, and then the, the reward, which is what reinforces you to continue to do that habit. And so, you know, trying to figure out, you know, just to give you a, an example of what that might be, um, you know, somebody, uh, there was a study that said if you put your, your running shoes right by your bed when you wake up, um, there was like a you know, 25% higher likelihood you were going to continue on your habit of running. And so the, the cue 
was that the shoes were right in your face, right? And then the other thing was if um, you have a reward when you're done the run, so maybe it's a little piece of chocolate or a sip of, you, know, you go to a coffee shop and end the run with your favorite coffee, that's the reward. And so that's how you habitize the routine. I have a very, very similar one myself on that. I usually wake up starving in the morning and I'm trying to motivate myself to get up earlier to go to the gym or go for a run. So I have these caffeine cookies. They're like basically little caffeine biscuits. Wow. Yeah, they're biscuits full of caffeine. So I wake up and even though I'm half asleep, I'll reach down to the bag, eat a few, and then within five minutes, I'm sitting up like <laughs> wide awake, ready to go. So uh, yeah, just have it that having something close to your bed to help motivate yeah, you to get having up. Having a trigger. Yeah, exactly. There was another one I read in a book. It was really cool. So Febreze, you guys know what Febreze is? That that fragrance spray. Yeah. So so. Um, they were when they launched the product. They were marketing it, and it, and it was wildly unsuccessful. They were they were really struggling. And and when they did some studies, they saw the people that were using. They originally were were really marketing it as a you know this hardcore odor killer um, typing product. And then when they when they saw how um, people were using it, what they realized the people that loved it the most were actually using it as part of their cleaning regimen after vacuuming and doing everything. The final thing they would do would be shoot the Febreze in the air to signify that they were done the cleaning. And that, and so it was like the reward to reward them for the habit of cleaning the house. And so then they, they realized that and they, they remarketed it. And I don't know if you ever saw the commercials of Febreze, it's like this person, this woman smiling because her job's finally finished and she shoots the breeze to celebrate that she's done in the room. Or, Jeez, that's so me they, every Sunday. <laughs> there you go. So, so they realized that Febreze could be the reward to signify the end of the habit and reinforce the habit. So, uh, you know, just another example. How do we translate that into the salon? Like, would you have, for instance, I don't know, a scenario to just, obviously there's no, nothing prepared about this, but yeah, just so that we could try and say, okay, well, what would, what could be the cue? What could be the routine? What could be the reward to change a habit in a salon? Hmm. So, so you're going to try to figure this out. I'm going to challenge you. Well, me and Killian together. I'm not just doing this. <laughs> All right, so, so how about, I'll, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. You could pick okay. one. So, so one habit that I constantly hear salon owners getting frustrated with is their hairdressers wasting hair color. Oh, yeah. Um, or, or the other one would be to get them to be better at pre-booking their clients. It's a dealer's choice. You guys pick. Well, you see, because I saw that presentation in Philly, I know that you covered the pre-booking, so I'm kind of leaning towards the color one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like it. You're up for a challenge. I was leaning towards the pre-booking, but I didn't go. <laughs> okay, so the cue is the trigger. So what could a hairstylist or the salon owner do to trigger a different behavior? Correct. Right, so you would need a cue, the routine, and then the reward. I don't know. I'd try maybe to pull some stats on the, the amount of waste. Do you know how, like, in, in, say, hotels and such, you'd say, oh, like, this amount of people reuse their towels a certain amount of times before they change them to change that behavior so that it's always there at the color, uh, at the color bar uh, so that you kind of see a reminder to not waste so much because this amount of waste equals this amount of money or something like that. Maybe I'd try that. So the queue is a sign that says, something akin to what you're seeing in a hotel and your towels? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. It's not good enough, isn't it? <laughs> well, the, 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 truth is I, the truth is I don't think I know either. I, I, I know one, here, Here's one example. I, I don't know how this fits into our model, but I know salons that have tried this have actually um, had some positive results where they have a bucket where they say for a week, 
they don't usually do this forever because it's a little sloppy, but you're not allowed to put any of the color down the drain. They, they actually have to put it in this bucket and, and the bucket starts to fill up with wasted color. And so the cue is kind of the seeing the bucket of waste, right? So then the habit is, okay, now I'm going to mix less because I, I see that it's there. And then the reward might be, you know, celebrating with the team if, if the bucket doesn't get up, you know, up to a certain amount full. Um, that, could be, that could be one approach. I don't know. That is actually an interesting one because if each colorist has their own bucket and then by the end of the day or the end of the week, you don't want to be the one that has the most full bucket. <laughs> That's another way of doing it, sure, yeah. yeah. And then your reward is a 10% commission off the retail. Yeah, yeah. well, we know we don't want to do that. Your reward is a caffeine biscuit. (laughs) Excellent. So, Josh, all right, we've gone through, I suppose, the science of flow. Just to recap, we've got purpose, autonomy, mastery, and learning. And then you've gone through the habit loop and myself and Zoe's failed attempt of using the habit loop. <laughs> if we had more time, that's all we needed. Just a few more yeah. time. I got to feed it to you ahead of time. That's next time. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. It's, it's more fun. Sometimes we we're good at this and then sometimes we fail. It's okay. Well, I'll tell you what, if you can solve this, you have a great uh, topic for your next podcast. It'll be your most highly viewed podcast ever. <laughs> but Zoe, what yeah. we're going to do after this is not figure out what went wrong we're going to see what we could do differently to better prep for those scenarios. There you go. Killian, you're on it, man. You're on it. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> so have you got any parting thoughts that you'd like to recap this episode per se? Uh, sure. I, I think that when I, when I share this type of information with owners, sometimes I, I, I see, or managers, I, I see a little bit of frustration build because you know they look at their team and maybe they're not getting the results that they're looking for and, and, you know, one thing I would say, which is sometimes a bitter pill to swallow for them, is that almost in every case, over time, a, a team is a reflection of its leader and its manager. So the, the, the engagement, the motivation, the behaviors, the, you know, all the results from your team do reflect something that you're doing or not doing as a leader. And that sometimes is the bitter pill because when we look at our team and if we're not where we want to be, it's hard to put that onus back on us as leaders, but you know, me included, that's really when you, when you take that role as a leader, that's really the responsibility and burden that you take on. On the flip side, what I would say to these, to all of us that might be a little more optimistic and uplifting is that no matter what you're doing or not doing as a leader and the results that thereby are, are because of that, we can all, improve as leaders. We can all work on that muscle and we can all over time achieve different results from our team based on us improving as a leader and doing different things. And so wherever you're at now in that, in that spectrum, um, don't get discouraged because you know, there, there is an ability for all of us to do better and thereby get better results. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a something you're born with. It's something you learn and something you build over time, like a muscle. Don't think you could have said it any better than that. Well, thank you, Zoe. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, listen, Josh, this has been absolutely fantastic, really insightful. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch, maybe chat about this more, or I know you do a few segments and, and talks, um, how can people reach out to you guys? Well, uh, I guess my shameless plug will be we do have our show in Atlantic City that you guys are coming to, so we're going to have a lot of great speakers. I, I'll probably, uh, well, not probably, I'll, I'll do a little bit of segments uh, here and there, but, but we have an incredible lineup. 
Um, so that would be one thing to do. And then we're, we're constantly having uh, business programs. We have our Institute of Salon Business, which is a three-day program for owners and managers. I, I do a two-hour segment on, on basically everything we just talked about in, within that. And so um, artofbusiness.com uh, or talk to one of our salon business specialists. And uh, I guess that would be the way. Excellent stuff. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, Josh. Hi, it was good. I had fun. Thanks, guys. Thinking of switching salon software companies but fear the migration process? How long will it take? What happens to my staff and clients' details or my roster? Look, when you sign up for Forest Salon Software, it's our mission to transfer your data from your previous provider smoothly and safely onto your new one, us. Manage, market, and grow your business with Forest Salon Software. Visit forest.com for more details. So that was Josh Haffitz of The Art of Business discussing ways to motivate your staff and unlock their full potential. So moving on now, we have the Inside Forest segment and we're going to kick it off with the client webinars. So if you're a Forest client, you'll receive these emails every week encouraging you to sign up for some of our brand new Forest Education webinars. So the first one we have coming up soon is What Do Mothers Want? Marketing for Mother's Day. This webinar will educate your salon to market towards all the mothers for this special pampered day. Topics we're going to discuss include creating experience packages for mothers, building and selling product gift packs, gift voucher displays, and delivering exceptional marketing through SMS and emails. The time and date for this webinar is the 24th of February, 2020 at 4.30 p.m. GMT, that's Irish time, 11.30 a.m. Eastern time, and 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. The second webinar we have is Do You Know What The Numbers Are Telling You? And this webinar will give you a deep dive into your forest reports. Topics discussed include why tackling your business is important, what are the numbers showing you, and how to use your reports. This webinar is on February the 27th, 2020 at 4.30pm GMT, 11.30am Eastern Time and 8.30am Pacific Time. If you have any queries with regards to signing up to these webinars, Please email training at forest.com. Next on this segment is two more webinars, but this time they're open to forest clients and non-clients. The first one coming up is Marketing to Millennials, the secret to the next generation of salon success. Now, as you all know, millennials have fast become the largest, most influential generation of all time, but they have also been known as the most challenging group to market products and services to. So the main question that we're going to be looking at in this webinar is how can we best communicate and attract that generation? If you're interested in joining, this takes place on Monday, February 24th at 10 a.m. GMT, so UK Irish time. Our second webinar then, open to forest clients and non-clients, is Managing Your Online Reputation, How to Make the Most of the Feedback Clients Leave You. This will be an interactive webinar in which we'll be going through the importance of managing your online reputation, how you can use it to your advantage, how to craft positive responses to negative reviews, and how to create and share five-star review graphics to your social media pages. So because it's an interactive session, we encourage you to bring your questions, your negative review experiences, your examples, and also your responses to them. This is going to be a no judgment zone, only a place to learn and grow. And if you're interested in joining that session, it takes place on Monday, February 24th at 11 a.m. EST. Signing up to either of these two webinars is completely free and you'll find registration links in today's episode's show notes. 
The second announcement I have on this segment here today is about the Salon Owner Summit 2021. So following this year's sellout event uh, that happened just a couple weeks ago, the super early bird tickets for the Salon Owner Summit 2021 taking place on January 11th of next year are now on sale and you can register for your tickets already by going to the website, so salonownersummit.com. And something new about the 2021 event, the flagship event in Dublin, is that it'll be open to forest clients and non-clients for the very first time. The ticket price includes main stage speakers, access to salon business workshops, pre-summit networking party, meals and coffee breaks throughout the day. There's a legendary after party and of course a goodie bag for every attendee. We also have the Inside Forest event which takes place the day before the summit, so the Sunday. And we're honestly just really excited about this seventh edition of the summit. So hopefully we'll see you there. That's something you can put on your list. Save the date again, January 11th, 2021. Apart from that, we also have the Salon Mentorship Hub, uh, which is a place to connect. So whatever you're struggling with in the salon, we've teamed up with industry coaches and consultants with who you can have a 15 to 30 minute chat or consultation on a topic of your choosing. All you have to do really is to sign up for this chat on salonmentors.forest.com and you don't need to be a forest client to avail of this opportunity either. We also have a new mentor on the hub. His name is Chris Cheney. He's a self-confessed spreadsheet wizard, account coach and salon owner. Specifically, he focuses on helping salon owners simplify the accounting process and helps them get the most important information out of their account, supporting their business's profitability. His main areas of expertise are accounting, cash management and coaching by numbers. So again, if you'd like to have a chat with Chris Cheney or any other mentor on the hub, all you have to do is fill out the form on salonmentors.forest.com. And well, that's all we got for this week, guys. So as always, if you want to share your thoughts on this episode or have any suggestions at all concerning the show in general, we're more than happy to get your feedback on that. So please reach out to us uh, at forestfm at forest.com or you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We genuinely read every single piece of feedback that we get. We often get a lot of it uh, face-to-face at events that we go at, Killian and myself. But of course, we're not always there uh, to meet you face-to-face, unfortunately. So please... Please do feel free to reach out by email or again on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a review there. We're honestly always looking for ways to improve the show, to increase its value for you and create insightful conversations. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z. Great music makes great moments. Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Forest FM, the Salon Owners podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. We help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.